0: Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast. We're your co hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, we
1: explore a different perspective on or experience of depression because it varies in form and severity, affecting us differently. Our guests share intimate details of their struggles, coping strategies, and recovery. We keep it real because the struggle is real. We keep it hopeful because there is hope in spite of what depression tells you.
0: We're not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and know that talking about the illness reduces stigma and humanizes the experience, making it safer and easier to ask for needed support. You are far from alone.
1: Today's podcast is sponsored with a Garrett Kelly Memorial Grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. In loving memory of Garrett and others who've struggled with depression, we are solely responsible for podcast content. Hello,
0: Bridget. Hi, Terry. So if you remember, last week we began our discussion with Dr. Stacey Friedenthal, who literally wrote the book on how to help a suicidal person. We are focusing on children, teenagers, and young adults that might be suicidal from having thoughts of ending their life to making actual attempts. If a teen is in immediate danger of acting on those suicidal thoughts, then they need to be taken to the emergency room to get the support that they need. Today we
1: continue our discussion of 10 reasons teens avoid telling their parents about suicidal thoughts. We'll link to the full list so you can print it out, talk it over with your family, your therapist, or whoever else could help you help your child should the situation arise.
0: Mm-hmm. In part one, we explored the first five reasons. I'm just really briefly going to recap that some parents offer reassurance or encouragement without first listening to their child. Some get so overwhelmed that the child ends up consoling the parent without even feeling hurt themselves. Some parents get angry that their child is even thinking of or attempting suicide. And others may take the disclosure as very personal and or blame their child rather than the illness or other factors for the thoughts and behaviors.
1: Before we dive into the next five reasons, we want to take a minute to talk about the mental environment in which suicidal thoughts can form and fester, since it can be almost impossible to understand how someone, especially someone you love and support, could possibly have such persistent, despairing, and destructive thoughts the suicide prevention community uses the term cognitive constriction.
2: And it's where a person is just so focused on their pain and on escaping the pain that they can't see everything else in their mist. And it's been compared to like a horse wearing blinders and yes. only being able to see right in front of it. And I've also compared it to, and I'm not the first person I've seen this to, comparing it to having a a mental toothache, because if you've ever had an abscessed tooth, you know it is all you can think about. (laughs) You know, here's this tiny little part of your body that is commanding all of your attention.
1: So given the intensity of focus, can we help people break out of that cognitive constriction?
2: Yeah, we can. But it's it's hard and it requires listening to the person and understanding and letting them get in touch too with all their different feelings about this and and then you know going from there so i mean i really preach about the need to listen empathically compassionately non-judgmentally with curiosity but there is a There is a point, too, where there does need to be a change orientation of helping the person to feel and think differently.
1: Dr. Friedenthal, a psychotherapist herself, says cognitive behavioral therapy has evidence of effectiveness for helping change a person's thoughts and dialectical behavior therapy for teaching skills for moving through a suicidal crisis. With that, we move on to more reasons. She's heard teens say they don't talk to their parents about suicide. Number six is that some parents don't take their child's crisis seriously.
2: Yeah, and then, of course, the next reason I give is that some parents overreact. So it's this interesting dichotomy that you've got some parents who who say, oh, you know, they don't mean it and they're just, you know, being dramatic and don't get their child help. And again, I don't want to demonize parents. I think for many parents in this situation, it's just so overwhelming to think that their child wants to die, Mm -hmm. that denial is a defense mechanism.
1: Another reason for an underreaction can be a parent's belief that their child is being manipulative. Now, the attention seeking, that is something that comes up all the time. And in fact, when I uh, heard you speak here, there was a woman beside me who asked that question What do you do if the kid is just repeatedly threatening and you know, in quotes, they're just doing it for attention? That seems to be such a common belief or situation. You tell
0: me.
2: I, I don't want to believe or say that people use suicidal um, communications as a way to get attention, because I think that can be stigmatizing and pejorative, but at the same time it does happen, you know. And then I I try to come at it from a place of compassion that, wow, if that's how they need to get attention, Mm -hmm. what else is going on? Mm -hmm. Because somebody who's healthy and has good coping skills and is getting their needs met or isn't getting their needs met and, and, and is trying to get their needs met, has healthier ways to go about it.
1: So on the other end of the reaction spectrum from denying the problem.
2: Some parents overreact and they immediately rush their child to hospital for evaluation without first listening to their child about their pain and plans. You know, often when you talk with a teen or anybody really about their suicidal thoughts, you learn it's not an immediate emergency. I've had friends and family want to call 911 because somebody said they're thinking of suicide. And that's certainly going to disincline someone from disclosing in the future.
1: This might be a good time to just take a deep breath and acknowledge this is complicated, high-stakes stuff. And the fact very few, if any, of us were ever taught to have these potentially life-saving conversations only makes it all the more daunting. Dr. Friedenthal recognizes all of these responses are instinctual and understandable, just not so helpful for a teen who desperately needs to be listened to and understood, and in many cases, taken for help afterwards. We'll link to Dr. Friedenthal's site, blog, and book so you can dig deeper into best practices for these harrowing situations. For now, we'll move on to another reason teens give for not talking with their parents about their suicidal thoughts parents can become what Dr. Friedenthal calls impatient.
2: As if it's a fever that will break very quickly. They keep asking their teenager, are you still thinking of suicide? You know, today are you thinking of suicide? And for many people, you know, they've probably been thinking of suicide for much longer than when they told their parents. Mm -hmm. And it may take time and for them to no longer think of suicide. And in fact, some people never stop thinking of suicide, but they, they are able to observe their suicidal thoughts without, you know, acting on them. And, and sort of like we were talking about, about how some people can feel comforted by their suicidal thoughts. They may recognize that about themselves. Mm-hmm. But my point is that, you know, suicidal thoughts may not go away quickly, if at all. And to ask repeatedly, are you still thinking of suicide? Do you still have suicidal thoughts? May result in the teenager shutting down, you know, sort of to get them off their back.
1: Right. I get it from the teen perspective, but boy, as a mom, I I, I don't know how we would not ask.
2: Yep. Yep. I don't think it's a choice between not ever bringing it up again and bringing it up several times a day. Okay. You know, I think there's middle ground.
1: Okay. So is there just a better way to ask?
2: So talking with the adolescent about what what would be helpful to you. You know, I'm worried. Mm -hmm. You don't need to take care of me about my worry. It's Mm -hmm. just I'm a mother, and that's my biological proclivity is to worry. Mm -hmm. I will take care of myself. But I do want to know, and so what would be the best way for you to be able to check in with me? Or for me to be able to check in with you about how you're doing.
1: Good, that I can live with. Um, and your tenth one is some parents are, are overprotective.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and I mean this is so hard because, like, I've had um, I've had parents that I've worked with, and I've also heard about parents who like take away their kids' cell phone because they don't want them being negatively influenced. But a cell phone is a kid's lifeline these mm-hmm. days. You know, I've, I've heard of parents who don't let their child leave the house. Mm-hmm. And so now that child is isolated and feels punished for having suicidal thoughts. Same with the cell phone, mm-hmm. that they can feel punished. Again, it comes from a, a, a normal human place of wanting your teenager to survive, but it can have negative impact on the
1: teenager. And since, as research shows, kids hesitate to tell adults, we have to take responsibility for starting that conversation.
2: Parents can and should ask if they have concerns and think their child might be having suicidal thoughts or might be struggling in another way. Rather than waiting for the child to come to them, they can be proactive Mm -hmm. and say, hey, I've noticed that lately it seems like you don't care about things as much as you used to. And You're not seeing your friends, and your grades have been slipping, and these can be symptoms of depression or, you know, some other emotional problem. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Are you struggling?
1: It's a lot, we know. Teenagers can be hard to engage in conversations about things you'd expect they'd want to talk about. And feelings, relationship problems, depression, despair, and suicide— hardly make that list. So in summary then, what the hell should a parent do? I,
2: I, I fear this will sound simplistic, but it is actually very important. The best thing they can do is listen and and try to see things through their their child's eyes. Even if what they see through their child's eyes is is frightening or devastating and worrisome to try to see it through their child's eyes so that their child can feel connected and not alone Mm -hmm. and feel like they can, that their parents can get it and they won't get in trouble Mm -hmm. and that there can be help and hope available to them.
1: That was interesting wording at the end there where doctor said help and hope are available to them because it's the exact same phrasing that Dr. John Draper, the head of the uh, Suicide Prevention Lifeline, said when we interviewed him, that help and hope are available. And while I'm mentioning that, I will give the lifeline number, which is 800-273-TALK or 800-273-8255 in the U.S., or the text line 741-741. And parents can also call that and say, what do I do? What do I do? How do I help? How do I have this conversation?
0: Right. And I love that final takeaway of, you know, at kind of the bottom line being that the child feels connected and not alone. Yes. Yes. And that their parents can handle the truth, can handle
1: their truth and will help them as opposed to judge or talk over them or punish or any of the other things that uh, Dr. Friedenthal listed.
0: And that they'll get the support that they, the parent, need in order to attempt that heroic and unclear path.
1: It's a tricky one. It is. And so next week, we are going to talk about if kids don't tell their parents, who are they telling? And we know that the answer is often each other. And that might be a conversation. It might be that you just notice something's off with your friend or or dorm mate or whatever it might be, but also it can be on social media these days and you read Mm -hmm. something that's very troubling. And if you happen to know the person, you know, you, you have to do something. So we're going to talk about that next week.
0: And I'm so grateful because one of my kids has a friend who's struggling right now and you know, the path is not clear. Mm -hmm. It really isn't. And the stakes are so damn high. Mm. Yes. All right. So love listening connection.
1: Making it safe Mm. to have that conversation. So thank you, Dr. Friedenthal, for your time. Thank you, as always, Bridget. And we'll be back next week with more. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye, Terry.